Welcome to the Man Catholic Podcast. My name is Steve Priest. I'm Thomas Wirtz. And I'm Brock Martin. And I'm Jake Lyons. We are super excited to have Jake Lyons, Director of Missions for Focus, join us today. Today we are answering the question, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? This time. Jake, thanks so much for joining us. It's a pleasure. Uh, tell us a little bit about Focus Missions and what you do, where you're going, and how you serve the organization through that. And then we're going to get into this question of service today. Yeah, thanks, Steve. So Focus Missions came about in 2004 when a missionary on campus with Focus was evangelizing guys and, and walking with them in discipleship. But he also had a relationship with the Christian life movement out in Peru. And so he wanted to bridge this gap and bring the men that he was walking in discipleship with out to serve the poor in Arequipa, Peru. So hence we have focus missions. Uh, today, that was 18 years ago. So today we have 130 mission trips. We're in about 25 different countries post-COVID. And we organize mission trips for focus missionaries and their students to go serve all over the world. Thanks, Jake. It is so cool to see how much Focus Missions has grown over the years and the hunger for service that college students have. Before we keep going into our topic, we have a great story about St. Vincent de Paul. Thomas. I'm going to take from Brandon Voigt in his book, Saints and Social Justice, A Guide to Changing the World. So well done, Brandon. St. Vincent de Paul, a name I think we're probably all pretty familiar with. He was born in southwest France in 1581. And at the age of 14, his parents sent him to college to study for the priesthood. He excelled at school. And after just one year, he was invited to join the Franciscans. He was ordained in 1600 at the age of 20. Pretty unusual move there. He was, tragedy, tragedy struck him in an unexpected way. He, five years after his ordination, received news that an old friend had died, left him a considerable amount of money. So Vincent sailed to out to Marseille to collect it. And on the way back, Muslim pirates attacked the ship and actually Vincent was sold as a slave and spent two, two hard years in bondage. And eventually he was free through a, a turn of events. We won't get into all the details of his story. It's, it's a lot. But ended up back in France and serving as a priest. He had a heart for the poor and serving the poor. In 1617, he formed his first charitable group which consisted entirely of women, which you may have heard, the servants of the poor, the ladies of the charity, is what they called themselves now. They, they served many parish families through their personal form of charity. Vincent helped them expand their mission. Within a few years, he had them launching missionary projects, starting new hospitals, gathering relief funds to help war victims, and ransoming slaves from North Africa. Vincent even developed a rule for the group, weaving into it the core tenets of his spirituality, <clears throat> which was seeing Christ in the poor and serving the poor through personal charity. Vincent's got a lot of amazing stories that, that developed out of that. But, but it, it, he also had a special love for orphans and handicapped children. And this is, this is just crazy. Back in his society, in his day, and even in ours in different places, some families actually deformed their children on purpose to elicit more pity and handouts. It was also common for parents to dump handicapped children off at a municipal asylum where they were typically ill-treated or allowed to die of hunger. So where abortion may not have been rampant in that day, they still, people still sent their kids to die. This appalled Vincent and his wealthy sisters who decided to literally make an option or a choice for these forgotten children. 
They began with 12 randomly chosen boys and girls whom they offered to raise and care for. Later, the ladies of charity moved into a special house for the children that included four nurses. And over the next three years, they welcomed more than 4,000 boys and girls. He also, St. Vincent had, uh, excuse me, St. Vincent turned his attention to another forgotten group after this, the disabled homeless. Over the years, they sheltered over 40,000 poor people. He was also especially passionate about helping the poor slaves of North Africa. This is spectacular. Having shared their lot for two years, remember going back to the pirates that captured him, he commiserated with their struggles. Roughly 25,000 prisoners lived in bondage, most of them Christian, and most carried away from their families by Turkish pirates. Turkish pirates. Their captors treated them, of course, like animals, forcing them to endure beastly labor without any bodily or spiritual care. So in response, Vincent worked tirelessly, excuse me, in response, Vincent worked tirelessly both to ease their burdens and help them find freedom. They connected with the slaves' families, sent secret messages back and forth, and he and his daughters of charity collected ransom money, and by the time of his death were able to free over 1,200 slaves. Vincent finally died sitting in his chair in 1660 with a fever. The bishop who celebrated Vincent's funeral said during his homily that even though Vincent came from the country, he was far from a simple rustic. During his lifetime, he had changed the face of the church. Another biographer said it more poignantly, when Vincent died, the poor of Paris lost their best friend. St. Vincent's story is much more dramatic than just the, the small tidbit that I shared there, but his love for the lost, the destitute, the forgotten is an inspiration that still lives with us today, and I think a perfect example for us to meditate on and to think about with this topic. Thomas, I love the story of St. Vincent de Paul, and I think it's so apropos for us to, to really dive into his story as we're talking about mission and service, and to have you here, Jake, I think it's such a great opportunity for us to learn I think before we get into what is service and what does this mean for us, you know, as as Catholic men, um, I, I just think the the idea of service is such an important thing for us to get right before we dive into this. I think a lot of guys can sometimes tend to think that it's their service, it's the things that they do that are going to get them into heaven. You could even all, go all the way back to the Protestant Reformation, right? Like faith and works and people thinking that Catholics thought that we could earn our, our salvation and whatnot— um, I think it's really important for us just to to set the foundation that everything we do in service has to flow from a, a love and a deep relationship of Jesus. If you are doing service because you think it's going to get you into heaven, that's not the right motive. <laughs> we we got to fix that. Um, however, it's not enough to just say that we love Jesus. Now, that's the other extreme. It's just, oh, I love God. It's just me and him. We're all good. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reality is that when we love people, we actually have to take and make what's important to them important to us. And so our our motivation for stepping into mission and to service is not because, oh, this is a thing we have to do or this is a box we got to check to get into heaven. It's actually, no, I am deeply in love with the person of Jesus Christ and in his humanity, his heart is breaking for the suffering that exists of the people here on earth. So how can we as disciples of Jesus, as men who are in love with Jesus, 
start to make a gift of ourselves to satiate that thirst of our Lord, to, to relieve the, the suffering that he experiences, the pain he experiences when hum, humans suffer, and, and ultimately the pain he suffers when, when humans won't spend eternity with him. So Jake, I'd love to turn it over to you. I know there's some scriptural stuff you want to dive into, but, but really I'd love to just start by what do we mean by service? What do we mean by going on mission? And what do we mean by, Lord, I did not see you hungry. I did not see you naked. Brock, you're spot on. And I think just going back to the foundation of Scripture and where do we see Jesus actually commanding us to go to the poor, to go into the vulnerable. So I want to bring up a a literally divisive gospel passage, which is in the 25th chapter of Matthew. Now, in this chapter, Jesus divides people. He puts them into two groups. On his right, he puts the blessed, those who are going to share eternity in heaven with him. On the left, he puts the damned those who will not make it to heaven. And what is the difference between these two groups? It's not political affiliation. It's not gender. It's not um, what religion you are or where you live. It's actually, did you serve me in the poor? So Jesus tells the people on his right, he says, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the people on his right asked the question, Lord, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you, Jesus, in prison? Don't remember that. And he tells them this. He says, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. And I think, Brock, that's exactly the point that you were making, is that when we see people in need, when we see our brothers and sisters who are vulnerable, who are suffering, who have been abused, our love of Jesus, we see Jesus in them. And it's crazy, too, because I think a lot of times we think, oh, what is service, to get back to your question? Well, does this mean I have to solve world hunger? Does this mean that I have to fix everybody's problems around me? And that question oftentimes is so big that we don't know where to start, and so we don't. Mm. But I want to point out those six things that Jesus listed off, you can actually divide them into two categories. So we have the physical, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was naked and you clothed me. Right, So Jesus is commanding us to take care of the body. But there's three other things here. He said, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Now, I'm I'm not a theologian, but my personal reflection on this passage is Jesus really saying, did you even show up? Mm. When I was a stranger, did you welcome me? When I was sick or in prison, did you just come to me? Did you do whatever you could to show up to go to the poor and to the vulnerable? And I think that is what is at the heart of service. Were we willing to go uh, when we saw the opportunity and when we needed to go? Jake, in an earlier podcast, we were talking about the spiritual life. And so much of it is just about showing up, you know, just remembering the battle that you're in or the game that you're in. And, And so often we just need to show up. One of the things you said has resonated in my heart over the past years that we see Jesus in the poor. In college, I was going through a lot of rough things. I was getting into trouble. I was not going to church. I was finding myself doing things that I didn't want to do, and I knew I needed to get away. And the Lord led me to two options. One was joining the Marine Corps, and one was moving to Juarez, Mexico, doing some mission work. And I got very, very close to both options. I took all the tests for the Marines. I was one signature away, and my dad was a Marine, and his dad was a fighter pilot in the military, and so I I had this draw towards that. But my heart, at the end of the day, called me to Juarez, and it was Jesus through the, the, 
the inspiration of my heart that did that. And I went down there as a, this kind of punk college kid trying to get away from life. And in the midst of this mission work of building house, in the midst of this mission work of building houses for the poor, I saw Jesus in the poor. And it wasn't it wasn't my activity of building houses that inspired my heart to pursue him. It was great. It was fun. It was hard work. But it was seeing the love of Jesus in the faces of these people. It was being embraced by them, knowing that this house changed their earthly life, but their eternal life had also been impacted. And gosh, Jake, I got to be honest with you. Had I not gone down there to serve, to give of what I had as a punk college kid, my soul may have been lost. I'm not sure I would have ever found this journey. And so I came back from Juarez and I found myself walking through the doors of the Newman Center at Colorado State University and eventually found focus and Bible study and discipleship. And my life was completely transformed. But when I look back, it was it was seeing Jesus in them that changed everything for me. Now, Jake, you also mentioned the physical and emotional. And then I kind of mentioned the spiritual aspect that there are spiritually poor, and we're told this by St. Mother Teresa, that in the West especially, we have the spiritually poorest of the poor. When you're on mission, when you're leading mission uh, on your own or, or with focus, can you speak into that? That Do you go just to, to feed and to clothe and to cure? Or do you look at, how do you look at the emotional and spiritual, I guess, uh, in addition to just those physical elements? Yeah, great question, Steve. Uh, and I want to kind of throw out maybe a misnomer that people have about mission trips or just uh, something that is pretty popular today to believe, which is mission trips are, are going to go and damage what uh, the people that they're going to serve. Yeah. Short-term mission trips, that is. Um, and I don't disagree with that statement in a lot of ways. However, it really depends on what do you mean by mission? Now, let's say that I like to build bathrooms and I'm going to go to Africa and since I like to build bathrooms, I'm going to build the African people a bathroom. Well, what if they already have bathrooms? What if they don't need bathrooms? Mm -hmm. What if I build something actually that makes their life a little bit worse just because it's what I wanted to do? Then, yeah, that could be a damaging mission trip. But mm -hmm. really, with focus missions, we want to reclaim the word mission. The word mission is to be sent out by the Holy Spirit, to be sent out to bring the gospel and to bring the healing love of Jesus Christ. So a couple things that we do differently is this, is that one, on every single mission trip, whether we're building houses, whether we're doing a ministry of presence with those who are sick and dying, or whether we're just teaching little kids English, on every single one of these trips, we bring the gospel of Jesus mm. because this is our mission. We know that if we can give the gospel, that will last literally eternity. Eternally, yeah. <laughs> exactly. If I build a house, if you're lucky, it'll last you for a year. <laughs> um <laughs> So, so yeah, we look at mission differently. So we do try to address all of the different parts of a person. And actually, mm -hmm. one of the models that we go after is there's four relationships that we believe every human needs, especially humans who are experiencing poverty or who are suffering. They need a, a healthy relationship with themselves. And we can run after that first by just showing them love and dignity. They need a healthy relationship with creation. Uh, living in squalor, using the earth in ways that are, it was not designed to be used is also not a good way to live. Being in relationship with others, so who's your community? Who are your friends? Who are your family? 
Let's make sure we can get those right. And then finally, the most important is relationship with God, because we know that from God, all other relationships flow. So I would say that with Focus Missions, that's really what we're going after. We're looking for a long-term impact, both physically through the work that our hosts do as they continue on the physical relief that we start once we're on the ground, but also spiritually. And then along with those four others, self-creation, others, and God, that's what we go after in short-term mission trips with Focus and and a lot of other organizations in order to ensure that we're truly serving people. Jake, love it. You guys have mentioned, I think all three all three of you have mentioned in different ways, different categories for, for types of service. So just as we kind of shift from what do we mean by service into kind of why we should be doing it, I just wanted to list out what the church lists as corporal works of mercy. And she, she gives us this list, and here's, here it is. Feed the hungry. Give drink to the thirsty, shelter the homeless, visit the sick, visit the prisoners, bury the dead, give alms to the poor. And some of these, visit the prisoners, uh, it's pretty easy, I guess, what that is. Maybe not easy to always do. Bury the dead. I have a story about this one that I think you guys can tell me if if I'm wrong or not. Because maybe we think, okay, we got to go find dead people and dig them a hole and put them in the ground. But not necessarily at this point in time what it means. My old neighborhood... Heard, heard a story of a house, five houses down from us. They had just lost their two-year-old daughter in the middle of the night and found out it was actually a Catholic family. And that, <clears throat> excuse me, found out when the funeral was down at a parish not too far away. And I decided I'm going to go to that funeral and went to this, never met this family, but went to the funeral and show up and just pray with this family. The church was packed, shed a couple tears not knowing them, and I was blessed, you know, a few weeks later to find them on the playground and uh, just to say, hey, I was, I was able to be there with you uh, to pray for your daughter. And I, in my mind, I, I don't know if that counted, but, but burying the dead, I think that maybe that's a story you guys can, can kind of resonate to is some people don't have people that will go to their funeral when they die. And I think it's a neat opportunity to look for situations where maybe we can just go to a funeral mass of someone that isn't as well known and just pray for them and, and spend some time thinking about their eternity. And, and God is outside of time. So any prayer for the soul of someone, even if they've passed, is still efficacious. And so I just want to encourage us always to be, to be praying for those souls. But and it makes me think of why is service so good, I think, for men. And one thing that was told to me as I was younger in focus is the idea that service can, can pull us out of ourselves. So guys, maybe, maybe pornography or purity is a struggle for us. Um, it's very easy for us to live in isolation in our day and age, right? We go to our room, we can turn on the computer, and everything is at our fingertips. We can get food brought to our door. We can, we can get anything brought to our door. We can plug in and watch whatever we want, play whatever we want. We don't ever have to leave our room. It'd be very isolating and, and it turns us in on ourselves. and service. It just on a natural level, grace builds on nature. It pulls us out. So we have to look beyond just our own self. Mm. I think that is such an important thing. Obviously not the ultimate reason why we serve, but I think it can be a very helpful, practical just natural thing for us to look at and going to that funeral is it was just it was something I had to do I had to think I had to put the time in I had to go there awkwardly walk in don't know anybody but I think there was a beauty to it and hopefully a grace that I received from it just to step outside of myself and say I'm gonna I'm gonna enter into this the morning of this family 
and and be with them. You know, Thomas, that reminds me. I want to give a shout out to uh, Father Brian Larkin and Patrick Deveni over at Our Lady of Lords and the podcast that they've had for a little while called Gregorian Rant. Uh, it's the first podcast I actually have ever listened to, uh, so I'm, I'm really grateful for Did the work they do. they give you money to sponsor? Is this? No, no, I wish. I wish. Okay. Well, Father Brian, we can talk later. Um, <laughs> but no, a couple times in that podcast, Father Brian has mentioned uh, the Anglican theologian N.T. Wright and how he was really big on this idea that modern man, particularly modern Christians, need to undergo a Copernican revolution. Uh, Copernicus was uh, the scientist who figured out that the earth rotates around the sun, not vice versa. And so N.T. Wright, you know, has long been dead, but was pointing at something that I think is even more true for men in our day and age. And Thomas, this is the point I think you're trying to make. Everything in our life and in our culture is designed to make us selfish, right? It's always us turning in on ourselves. And we need to have this Copernican revolution where we realize that it's not God and, you know, the world and culture and the economics, that's all rotating around me. And I'm just looking out for me, what's best for me. We need to have this revolution where we actually realize that we are the ones who are rotating around God, not the other way around. There's actually things that might be uncomfortable or unpleasant or on the surface undesirable that we are going to be asked to do because we're not the center of the universe. And that's actually a really good thing. And I think this is why and how the church can teach that man only finds himself by making a gift of himself. Mm-hmm. It's because when we do turn in on ourselves, that's ultimately going to lead to the the deepest depravity, the darkest loneliness. Uh, it's gonna it's gonna just it's cancer for our spiritual lives. And so I think what you're pointing at, Thomas, that reality that we need to get out of ourselves, we need to make yep, a gift yep. of ourselves because we need to realize we're not the center of the universe. We actually we have a role to play here. Brock, I was in Calcutta, India on a mission trip when I was on campus as a focused missionary. And we were serving in a home uh, that was for orphaned children who had severe special needs. And I was on this mission trip with my teammate at the time, Dominic Price. And Dominic Price loves to push buttons of everybody around him. So we were sitting down for lunch and the, the missionary charity's sister was feeding one of the children, um, one of the residents of the home. And Dominic poses this question to her. He says, sister, which one of these kids do you love the most? And without missing a beat, the sister says, whichever one needs me the most. Mm. And at the time, I, w- I didn't understand that fully. I was like, how can you love a kid more than another kid? I think as I've grown and I've had to get outside of myself, that makes more sense. So for instance, I've got three children and at home, <laughs> when one needs me more than the other, I have to go and give my love more to the one in need than I do to the others. Even if even if I want to play with my son because he's really fun, but my younger son needs my help, that's where I go. And actually, St. Thomas Aquinas in the, in the uh, Summa, he says, who does God love more, man or angels? And his answer is that God loves man more because man has a greater need for God's love and for God's mercy. Mm. So when we go out and we serve, we actually can become more like our Lord. One, in recognizing our own poverty, but two, practicing going to where need is and that's how we can get outside of ourselves. blessed are the poor in spirit right jesus says blessed are those who know they need me Mm. who know they need my mercy and my love and when i go out and serve i become more like our lord just a little bit in that i go out to recognize where need is and to try with my love to serve it i just want to underscore that because i think whereas service helps us stretch beyond ourselves, ultimately it is so we can learn how to love we can live in model Christ, charity, the ultimate virtue. So that's kind of 
the hope is that we can actually learn how to love more. We can grow in our love, which we're all called to do in imitating Christ, right? So I think that's just worth stressing. Jake, so glad that you're here with us, and I've got one more question for you, and then we can get to some practicals. You mentioned you were in Calcutta, India with Focus, and you know, there's a, I think it's a misperception, but I'd love to hear your thoughts, that a lot of people say, you know, why do we go all over the world? Why do we go to places like Calcutta to serve the poor when there are so many homeless, sick, imprisoned, dying people here in our own backyard in the U.S.? What would, what would you say to that? Yeah, great question, Steve. Um, I want to actually say that a lot of it, at least for our organization, is actually logistical. We're constantly looking for more opportunities at home to send our missionaries, to send our students. Um, and frankly, they're, they're harder to find. They're harder to engage with. And I don't know exactly why that is. Maybe it's regulations. Maybe it's just uh, our group doesn't fit with them. So a lot of times we go internationally, again, because that need is so uh, so relevant, so right in our face. And then on top of that, we have our hosts internationally who are asking for more and more and more help. Mm. They're saying, we have people over here that we really, uh, that we need served and your volunteers can help. And so again, where that need is, is where we go. And I think also just a note on, on domestic, every one of us is called to serve where we are in our home. Um, and oftentimes that's just going to look different. So Mm -hmm. for instance, you know, I live in the suburbs and, um, a lot of times those who are elderly are in nursing homes. Those who mm-hmm. are sick are in hospitals. Those who are dying are in hospitals or hospice. This, the suffering have been, the suffering and the poor have been actually removed from us in, in a lot of ways. Um, so, so not to say that that's an excuse to not do it, but it, we do have to seek it out more intentionally mm-hmm. here domestically oftentimes than we have to abroad. No, that's a great point. And, you know, I'm thinking, do I do this? I'm kind of asking myself this and in my heart, I'm challenging myself that, well, it's snowing right now in late May in Colorado. And I'm thinking, gosh, is there someone elderly on my block that I can just go shovel for this weekend? You know, can I step up and make a meal for um, a, a big family that it's difficult to get things like that done all the time. Are there other ways to serve that might not be so outwardly heroic, if you will, and more kind of private and, and unseen and, and unappreciated maybe even? Yeah, I would say absolutely. Um, I mean, so I'm a, I'm a married man. My wife and I, before we had children, we would go down to the Samaritan house in Denver and we'd serve the poor at 5 a.m. on a regular basis. Now that we have children, it's not as easy to do mm-hmm. that. And that's actually been a struggle that I have had personally because that was such a part of the way that I served. And now I need to serve my vocation oftentimes over going out to the Samaritan house. Mm-hmm. Even though I still love to get out there. Yep. So for me, it's really been, well, how can I serve? I, in my house, I go home and I arrive. And the first thing that I do when I get home is, clothe the naked, feed the hungry, <laughs> maybe some spiritual works. And mercy. your kids. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Not your wife, not your wife. Yeah. Right. No, no. Well, uh, you mentioned the Samaritan no, your wife house. wife is visiting the imprisoned. That's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you mentioned the Samaritan house for those who are not familiar. It's a soup kitchen kind of homeless shelter run by Catholic charities here in Denver, Colorado. And 
I'm going to pivot to our practicals here. I've made a list as we were chatting today, and then I'll turn it over to see if anyone else does. So Soup Kitchens was the top of my list. Out here in Denver, we have an incredible organization called Christ in the City. And what they do really well is encounter the person in the midst of service. And so if you are going to go to a local soup kitchen, serve them the meal and then go sit and dine with them and ask them their name and who they are and hear their story. And Jake, as you said earlier, show them that dignity, help them understand that they are loved, that the Lord loves them. And and there's a certain love for self, the relationship of self that they need to have, that they need to know they were made in the image and likeness of God and to help them do that. Certain uh, senior living homes are open to visitors. Just call up the one closest to you and say, hey, is there someone that does not get visited? I would love to be that person for them. Funeral home, Thomas, this idea came to me as you were talking that I'm sure there are funerals probably on a daily basis with no one there. Mm. No one that they know has taken the time or maybe they don't. No one that they know has taken the time to come to their funeral. Mm. And what if we could just call and say, hey, will you put me on a list that if someone dies and they're going to have a funeral and no one is planning on coming, will you call me? Because I want to come. I mean, that would be so powerful to be that person to go and pray for them and, and their soul in that moment. Prison Bible studies, I know, are really valued by the inmates. I think that could be a, a wonderful thing. Now, there's a big background check. There's a lot of things that you need to mm-hmm. do. There's, right. But I think that's an incredible apostolate if you're called to that. And then the last one, um, giving alms. If you're already giving 10%, praise God, I invite you to give 12%, at least for seasons, that the Lord might put something on your heart, and I invite you to respond to that, to go above and beyond. And if you're not giving 10%, maybe that's what the Lord's calling you today, is where if you're at 5 or 6%, 7 8 9 if you're close, I invite you to jump up to that 10%, to really give of what you can financially. No, I really want to pile on the last two you mentioned there about prison and alms. I'll start with alms. I think uh, if you are listening to this podcast, that means you probably have a smartphone. Uh, you're probably listening either in the commute or in your house or, or you know in your dorm with your buddies. You are probably in the top 1% of net worth of every human that has ever existed on planet Earth. I, I get it. Like money's tight. I'm, I'm fundraising my salary. I live in Denver. There are nights that I am stressed and not sleeping because of money. But the fact of the matter is, if you are listening to this podcast financially, and if you look at the entire human race and where we've been in the last you know several thousand years, you're probably in the top 1% in terms of what, yeah, what indoor you own. plumbing, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I do think that the that that should be a little kick in the pants. Like, hey, we are actually going to stand before God one day, and He's going to say, "Hey, you were in the top one percent. What'd you What'd you do yeah. with that?" And I and I think there's a temptation of us as men. You know, we are called to provide and protect. We're always thinking about this, right? Mm-hmm. But I really do. I want to just pile on that, Steve. I think we need to flex that muscle. I think it's in Matthew six. Jesus says, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Mm-hmm. Remember that, that anything with service and mission has to flow from the heart. And I think your money is a great way to start affecting your heart. You start writing checks and, and supporting some organizations like this, yep. your heart is going to naturally tend to desire what they are desiring. more. Yep. You know, I love flipping that verse where your heart is there. Your treasure is, what are you spending your money on right now? And you just mentioned cell phones and that's one example, but where are we spending our money? That's where our heart is. Mm-hmm. 
and we need to do a gut check right now and go look at your budget or where you're go look at your bank account and see where you're currently spending money that's where your heart is mm-hmm. and you can tell me one thing but that's 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 the reality that's the reality my heart is on gas right now <laughs> Steve. <laughs> we all love gasoline yeah absolutely and and yeah, where is your heart? I think that at the foundation of serving people is the recognition that they are people. And how do we do that is we build a relationship with them. So just a practical thing here, the more relationships we build with those who are in front of us, whether that's our neighbors, our classmates, our coworkers, our roommates, the more we'll actually begin to see where are people marginalized? Where are they lonely? Is my neighbor going through a hard time? Well, I would have no idea if they were if I didn't mm-hmm. actually know them. Mm-hmm. And so I would just say start there. Build relationships with people and understand that it's not, you know, since since we're not necessarily uh, poor, that we're coming in to save and to, and to cure and to heal people who are having a hard time. But it's a, a mutual encounter of human beings, of children of God coming together, um, offering that love and relationship to one another. Such a wonderful topic and such a challenge i just for all you guys listening this is challenging for me to 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 think through this and to make these comments so grateful jake for your time and and guys for us talking about this jake kind of referenced in our home if we have young kids opportunity for work a work of mercy but as we talked about earlier jake before we got on the podcast maybe as you're changing a diaper or you're feeding someone in and you're just in that moment, think about Jesus in that moment, the love of him, not just like, man, I need to feed him before we leave and try not to get too caught up in just life and think about our Lord and, and this person in front of you and serving them because you love Christ. We talked about funding charitable organizations. That might be something we do if we're in a state in our life where we just don't have the time, we have young kids or whatever it is, to actually go serve. At the same time, if that's the state we're in, maybe be attentive to opportunities that might come. And maybe they're not the more formal service, Samaritan house, whatever it is. Maybe it's the neighbor. <clears throat> we have a, a beautiful widow that lives next door to us. And our kids just love going over there. My wife is spectacular at just offering to bring a meal to her. Probably once a week, just bringing food for her. We love being with her. So it's easy, but it's still, I'm, I, I love seeing what my wife does and my children when they go visit her. Because I think she appreciates the company. And I think is a great way of just visiting and caring for for our neighbor and showing love. If you're single or you don't have kids, maybe consider something regularly, weekly, monthly. I don't know what it is, but just consider that. Think about that. And then what my hope, guys, as I, as I, as I stop right here is as my kids get a little bit older, what I love doing is Little Sisters of the Poor. You guys hopefully know, know them. They have a home here in, in Denver. And I've gone and served lunch and sat with the, the elderly and I want to bring my kids, you know, as they get a little bit older, go and spend time because those, those elderly, if you guys have ever done that, I mean, they're, they're in dirty diapers sometimes. Like it's sometimes not easy sitting there, you know, they're, they're older, they're infirm, they're, they're not as healthy, but being able to go and spend time with them and bringing my children is something I hope to do. Thanks, Thomas. Jake Lines from Focus Missions. Thanks so much for joining us. For those listening, if you're a college student, young adult, if you're interested in going on a mission trip with Focus, there's over how many of them, Jake? About 130 this year, probably about the same next year. And how many countries would you say they go to? 
Right now, we're in uh, just under 30 countries, and as COVID continues to open up a little bit more, we're more hoping and more to countries to about and trips 50. of all kinds, right? Doing all sorts of different work. So go to focusmissions.org, check out the different trips. You'll find the application links there as well. Jake, thanks so much for being here. That's it for today. Please email us at mancatholicpodcast with any topic ideas. And please uh, continue to share this podcast with the men in your life. Please send us an email at mancatholicpodcast at gmail.com with any topic ideas or questions for us. We'd love to address those. Also, please share this podcast with any men in your life as we just desire to help men live out the lives they were created to live. That's it for today. God bless. (laughs) 